as I mentioned before, we was just about to start a new series, uh, thinking about our um, mental health, and we've got a little video just to get us, get us in the mood. I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. And it's really weird, like, I just don't want to do anything. You're thinking about quitting, you're thinking about giving up. God doesn't want us to worry about our future and depend on ourselves to make things right. He wants us to depend on Him. God wants you to turn to Him no matter the point in life. He wants to help you when you are struggling. Great. Just going to pray for Claire as she comes to speak to us. So, Father God, we thank you for Claire. Thank you for the work that you have given her to do. Thank you that she's somebody who who speaks truth um, over people's lives. That that uh, when people can't see the truth of who you are, you she speaks it into their lives and speaks it over them. And uh, Lord, I pray that you might you might anoint her this morning to speak truth over our lives this morning too. Amen. 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 Thank you. Oh, it's really nice to be here. It's always lovely to see you lot. And um, yeah, lovely. <laughs> you, um, uh, yeah, greetings from Woody's Central. It's really good to be with you. And we've just finished this series at Woody's, and it's been really great. And we kind of, um, I made the kind of mistake of, maybe not mistake, but in the first time we talked about mental health at Woody's, we said, we've got the wholeness coming. And I invited everyone. There was about 250 people. I said, you can all come. Then I suddenly thought, oh, um, we've only got about 25 people on the ministry team. So anyway, you can't come now because it started. And, but next time, look out for it, wholeness. Um, so mental health, it's really, we just, uh, as a leadership team, we were talking during the pandemic and there was many, dis- many discussions in the media about the mental health of the nation during COVID. And I wonder how you have experienced it and what your, your kind of understanding or experience yourself in your life, in your family life, maybe in, around the people that you know is of, of, around mental health. Are you somebody who has struggled with your own mental health or have you got a close family member who has? One in four people in their lifetime struggle with mental health issues. So, you know, most of these rows mean, you know, in this, you know, there's more than four of you on the rows. It means that, you know, it's a quarter of a quarter of us struggle, one in five people struggle with suicidal thoughts. You know, that's a, a big deal for the human race. And in fact, a few years ago, the World Health Organization did a kind of world mental health survey. And they, their conclusion was pretty much every country in the world had a mental health crisis going on. And that was before the pandemic. And I think there's this just recognition that it's a serious issue for the human race and something that we we kind of need to engage with and we need to engage with as church and I don't know if any of you have had a look on our whole minds website our new kind of website that's kind of a bit of a sister website to our main church websites in it and on on it are stories and articles about mental health that we're just building up and um 
I'm just trying to collate stories of people that have had some kind of breakthrough or have an ongoing um, journey with their mental health and spirituality. And I just, I hope you, you've had a look and I'm inviting you to have a look. It's called wholeminds.org.uk. And um, on it, there's a story. And at the moment, the story is featuring somebody from this room. And um, it's Roz over there. <laughs> And she's a bit shy, so her name isn't actually on the article, but um, you, will, you will maybe know her by sight. And it's an extraordinary story, really amazing to read. But it has a, a very dark beginning, and, and that would be Roz's um, testimony, really, that her life started in a very hard way. And, but one of the, the points that the story makes is that while she, she's had an amazing sort of job and career as a nurse, social worker, and a mental health worker herself, and successful, but whilst that success was happening, behind the scenes, there was a kind of really dark mental health struggle of her own going on. And I think that is, that is kind of a bit of the way of it for humans, <laughs> is that we can live life on several levels, and maybe you do, where you might even be quite successful, but underneath, there's a struggle there, a bit of a battle, and it's something to do with the nature of being human. And I think for us as people who are trying to follow God and follow a spiritual pathway, we can feel a bit like you're not allowed to have a struggle. Do you know anyone familiar with that feeling of feeling like, oh, I'm kind of letting the side down if I don't look happy all the time? And, you know, I'm supposed to be peaceful and everyone's supposed to look at me and think, wow, I want what you've got. But, wow, I just feel this sort of tension around that. And I think the truth is, is that the Bible doesn't shy away at all from that reality. Um, Paul, the apostle, said, be happy with those who are happy, but weep with those that are weeping. You know, recognize that this is a reality. Have a look at this psalm. This is Psalm 38. I wonder if you can recognize anything of your own experience in it. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing's not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Wow, that is such a real little clip of somebody's experience that feels isolated from the world because they're struggling. So the Bible doesn't pull away from that. And I think as Christians, we live in a tension between something we know is true, we hope is true, and we might have experienced truth of. But there are some, the reality is, is the church is and ought to be a place where people are welcomed in who are struggling. And for me, in my own journey, one of my, my best friends, Margie, a few years ago, some of you will know her, um, had a very long and difficult struggle with her own mental health. And she was drawn into a very dark place. And some of us, her close friends, walked with her and her, her husband through that journey. It was very, very hard. And we went round and round this circle for years of darkness and then coming up a little bit for air and things seeming to improve and then eventually actually she lost the battle and she she took her life and it was probably one of the you know the hardest things I've ever had to deal with in my sort of circle of friends and family and um you know I just that's the reality it's the tension between amazing stories of breakthrough 
and really difficult, hard stories. And how do we live in that tension? And can we do anything? Can we have hope and peace, even while that is a reality? I believe, actually, that Margie is with Jesus and that God has the last word on all of our lives and he has the last word over Margie and that actually she's full of joy and peace in a way that we're not yet quite yet there. <laughs> but that is the tension that we're living in. So we, we, this series, this little three-part series, is just going there. It's not going to solve everything. It's not going to cure everybody. <laughs> but it is just talking about it and acknowledging that that's where we are. And as the church, we're called to, into that tension. So we're going to read a classic passage that we often read around people's mental health. And it's the story of Elijah. And some of you will know this story so well because you'll have taught about it or studied it or whatever in this very context of somebody who's just come to the end of themselves. And I just say as we go into this reading that it's very clear from the Bible that it's not weak people that come to this place. You know, Elijah is not a weak person. He's extraordinary. He is organized. You know, he is actually described by King Ahab, the wicked king of Israel at that point, you troubler of Israel. You know, he's constantly confronting the powers that be. He's a difficult person for them to live with. Jesus in Gethsemane is not a weak person when he comes to the end of himself. Paul is not a weak person. And he describes feeling the sentence of death in his heart because of what he's experienced. Second thing is life is complicated and so are we. You are complicated. You have come from a complex set of circumstances and built up within yourself a kind of complex sort of situation where it's not that easy always to see the, the way forward. And thirdly, circumstances sometimes conspire against us and go beyond our control to take us to the end of ourselves. And this is what Elijah is experiencing. So let's read this in 1 Kings 19. Elijah's story. After Elijah had executed the prophets of Baal, who were the kind of you know, the, uh, the spiritual leaders of Israel or trying to be. And it really annoyed King, Queen Jezebel, who is the wife of Ahab. And she sends, it sends this message to Elijah and she says, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. He's executed them all. And so he's afraid and he ran for his life. And this is in 1 Kings 19. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked round and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. That's quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> Walking until he meets Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. 
The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Go back the way you came. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram and also anoint Jehu king over Israel and anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. It's a very sort of compelling story, isn't it? And what happens is that God takes Elijah through this kind of healing process. And I'm just going to say three things. Time is short. One is, how do we find God in the valley? Elijah puts himself into a valley where he is absolutely broken and he falls asleep and he has this encounter with God. And the thing that's striking to me is the tenderness of God towards Elijah in his broken place. And I think I want to ask you today is, do you think that God is tender and compassionate towards you when you're broken and when you'll come to the end of yourself? And I think our response to that is variable, if I'm honest. I think many of us feel that God is this unyielding, hard presence when we fail and we've come to the end of ourselves and he almost impatient with our human frailty why don't you just hurry up and get better so that you can get out and do the stuff I'm calling you to do and be a witness and be strong and be a good example of being a Christian and we sense maybe or we worry that God is a bit irritated and exasperated with us hurry up and get better I don't think there's anything of that in this encounter with God. He actually gives him really good mental health advice. That's what he does. It's all, it's, he goes by the book. He, 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 he feeds him. He gives him something to drink. He makes him rest. And then he does that for a long time until actually about six weeks until Elijah begins to recover. So first thing I want to say is you have permission to take time out to look after yourself to go outside, to look at the sunshine, and to uh, absorb the goodness of God in creation, to eat well and to sleep well. Take it from the top. You're designed to recover in that way. But the second thing that happens is that God invites him not to stay in the valley, and he, he, he goes, actually he invites him to go to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, is the place of encounter for the Israelites. And there's something going on here. And if you're somebody who's a bit stuck yourself, I just want to say this to you, that God is inviting you into an encounter. And it may take some time, but he invites us in the middle of our journeys of pressure to actually come and meet with him. And there's this interesting little dynamic that happens there. I don't know if you've noticed that 
Um, God's asking the same question twice, and it's sandwiched between um, but sandwiched between these two questions where Elijah gives the identical two answers, God invites Elijah from a place where he's hidden in a cave into an encounter with him. And I just wonder for you, what is the cave that you get stuck in? You know, what's the most unhealthy place that you go to mentally? What are the thoughts that are least helpful to you that you kind of recognize? When I think like this, it pulls me down into the darkness and it's not good for me. You know, and everyone's got their own cave. And, you know, maybe after this, you could go home and have a think about that. What's the cave look like for me? Because Elijah ends up in this thoroughly discouraged place and he lists out to God all the negative realities of his life, all the things that are truly hard. And mental health suffers when life is hard for many people. And it can call us, pull us down into the darkness. But there's Elijah stuck in this cave with this reality around him. And then he's called, he, God says, I'm going to pass by you. And sometimes one of the things that we want most of all is for this explosive thing to come in and shift everything. And it doesn't always happen like that. And for Elijah, yeah, I'm sure he'd have loved the thunderstorm to have you know, taken out Jezebel. But actually what happens is God meets him in this quiet whisper. And I think one of the challenges for us is how do we still our lives enough to hear the quiet voice of God in the middle of mental health pressures and difficulties? It's hard to do. But if Elijah hadn't heard the whisper, all he would have heard was the storm. And when God calls him out because of that whisper, and Elijah just repeats the same set of circumstances... Is that a disappointing answer for God, I wonder? I don't know if it is. Because the reality is, is the physical circumstances of Elijah's life haven't changed. But maybe he has. And I think that is probably the crucial point, really, out of this story. And for all of us in our lives, you know, how can we learn to look differently at circumstances that you know, seem dark beyond belief for some people. How can we learn to turn our minds and hearts into a new place? I'm just going to get Roz up, actually, um, because Roz, Roz is somebody who's had to... You might have heard her share her testimony um, with me about, I don't know, about a year, 18 months ago. A year ago, probably. And Roz is somebody who has been in the the darkness. You know, everything has been against her in her life. And I encourage you to go to Whole Minds and read her story. And it is a hard story to read until the very end when Roz began through a group, through friends and through amazing Rachel's friendship over there and lots of things, began to find light in the darkness. And um, why don't you just read the, um, the end of your story, Roz, because... Um, it's a story of 
encounter with God in the darkness that is really quite extraordinary. So why don't you just read it out and then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So um, I would never imagine that over a period of 18 months such changes could happen. I felt thankful and began to feel that something or someone was finally offering me a different life. I felt that God was pursuing me and wasn't going to give up, even though I found it difficult at times to respond to his invitation. He's unfailingly persistent, that's for sure. And with his persistence, I'm building faith and an understanding that is possible to receive unconditional love. I now believe I am seen, I am lovable. God has taken 60 years to show himself to me, but I'm grateful now. Carry on. Carry on. Okay. Oh, carry on the next bit. So, um, over the next year, I continued to learn about having a relationship with God. I attended the wholeness course at Woodland Church and explored God's love and healing power and have been encouraged and taught by several Christian friends from church along the way. I'm still defended in my heart at times, unsure at other times, but what I do know is that I'm a different person to one I've been the whole of my life. And for that, that's joyful. It's amazing, yeah. And so, thank you, Ros. And I just, I really want you to go and read that story, but just really quickly before you go, are you still on a journey? You know, that was written actually about six months ago, wasn't it? How's it going, um, the journey? Not quite that long ago, but yeah. Okay. So I'm still on a journey. Um, you know, what I realise is that I still do bump into my old life and uh, things that unsettle me, but uh, what I've learned is that I've become more resourceful and um, really they don't have the same impact on me anymore. So they haven't gone, but they don't hold any power over me anymore. Wow, that's an amazing <laughs> truth right there. And finally, you are a mental health practitioner. You kind of had some expertise in your area of life. What do you think the church has got to offer for people who are on a mental health struggle and journey? So... You know, I worked in mental health for, oh gosh, I don't know, 30-something years. And during that time, um, I had services from them at times. And really, the whole emphasis within mental health is about recovery. So it's about learning to live with whatever your struggle is, and um, but get on with life. But your struggle is still there. And that can be difficult, because when your struggle then comes and knocks on the door, you can feel really beaten down by it. I think the difference within um, the church and having faith and the role of the church in that is that what the church can do is shift the emphasis and not, and it moves you, well it's moved me and I think it moves you to a place where um, you can recognise your history but it doesn't hold any power anymore and I think that is through forgiveness. And it's this lady that's taught me how to forgive. <laughs> cool. That's amazing. Thanks, Ross. Brilliant. So, time is gone. I just want, I'm going to pray, I'm just going to pray for us on this journey. But, you know, the promise of God is that when you're low and desperate at the end of yourself, the, the answer is not for circumstances to necessarily change, but for you to change, for me to change. 
And, you know, God says to Elijah, the God of Israel is still the same. His promise still stands. His peace still wins. His call on your life still exists. You've not been disqualified by anything that's happened to you, nor by your mental health breakdown, if that's what's happened to you. Because the God of peace and power can make, his power can become perfected in your weakness. So why don't we just take a moment and pray together and um, pray as we sort of go back into worship, if you like, and you know, just come to God with wherever you're at with that. Maybe you know someone who's struggling or maybe it's your own struggle. And God, we just come before you now and bear our souls, actually. This is a reality for us in the human race, in our lives, in our world, in the pressures of war and in the pressures of sickness. We struggle and we're fragile but we want to be people of peace who encounter your power and turn the corner, turn the tide so that we can be people and the church can represent hope in the darkness, the light that will not be extinguished. So I pray for everyone here that you would come now by your spirit and minister your grace for whatever we are experiencing right now. We invite you, come Holy Spirit, bring the grace that we need, bring strength, bring the light. Let it be just like a match struck in the darkness for those that are struggling and enable us to carry that light. In the name of Jesus, we pray.